0: Good evening, saints. Uh, It's good to be together with you tonight to worship the Lord and to study his word. We have started a series in Titus and uh, we've called, we're we're calling it the zeal of the redeemed. And I don't know if y'all picked this up, but one of the things I tend to do is I tend to preach to myself and hope that there are points of commonality with those of you who happen to be in the audience. And, and Titus is a book that deals a lot with zeal, deals with the things that we should be radical and fanatical about. And those of you who, who know me decently well know that I am a kind of even-keeled type of person. You know, my, my goal is not to rock the boat, to keep things calm and easy. So one of the reasons why I put, pick the book of Titus is it challenges me to be zealous about the things of God. And last week, uh, we we covered a little bit of the introduction. We covered uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we really talked about our personal identity. Uh, How do we find that? How should the gospel radically transform our identity? And and in that message, we gave a little paradigm that we're going to continue to use uh, that talks about how spiritual formation occurs. And in the Christian tradition, we have a theology that is transforming or that is forming our identity, which transforms our action. And we talked about how that is the opposite of how any other world religion works. That in other world religions, you have to act a certain way to become something in order for God to accept you and in order to be made right. With God and Christianity, who God is and what He has done forms us as a people, gives us a new identity, and empowers us to act and live in a new way. We're going to be continuing on this theme. Last week we talked about personal identity. This week we're going to be talking and addressing the issue of faith. And specifically we're going to be addressing the issue of faith as it relates to our corporate identity. Last week, we talked about our individual identity. This week, we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit more foreign for our culture to think about. In our culture, we often think about what is my personal identity, who am I, but we don't think as much about who are we. What am I a part of? Who am I connected to? How do I work and function in relation to them. So we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1, verse 4 is what we'll be looking at. Uh, uh, You know, it's very ambitious for me to try and cover one whole verse. Uh, But to be honest with you, we're really mainly going to focus on two words of that chapter 4. Uh, But let's begin in verse 1 to get some content, to get some background for what we're really going to be looking at In Titus 1-4. So we're going to read Titus 1-1 through verse 4 and in the message we'll be focusing on verse 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who never lies, promised before ages began, and at the proper time manifest in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace to you from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray again. Lord, we Pray as we look at your word, we would be empowered by your spirit to see it properly. Lord, I pray that you might help and equip me to rightly divide your word. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you would give us today. May our hearts be open and receptive to the work of your word and the work of your spirit within our lives. We ask this in the beautiful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Um, I'm going to have to apologize to you all because college football season has started. That's going to influence a lot of our illustrations coming up. So for those of you who who don't enjoy college football, uh, I apologize. I've said we're going to be talking about a common identity. And it's very interesting. Something happened. Uh, that hasn't happened for 30 years yesterday. In in the first time in 31 years the University of Kentucky Wildcats beat the University of Florida Gators. And and it was funny I I didn't realize it until I woke up the next morning my team had already uh, played their game and I didn't stay up to watch any other games. And uh, I got up and I saw it and I thought oh gosh that's shocking news. And, and I looked online, and I was, I was looking at uh, posts and things that people were writing, and I, I saw a lot of writing from Kentucky fans. And they said, you know, in the third quarter when we were up by 10 points, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that Kentucky was going to find a way to throw away the game and lose to Florida. <laughs> and there are multiple people that were, say, were, were saying this, and uh, they said that how shocked they were when Kentucky won. Now, why were they expecting to lose? Because they had 30 years of experience losing. It had started to form their corporate identity. They thought, hey, when it's a big, important game that's close, we're going to find a way to blow it. And, And this kind of forms their identity and their expectations Watching the game. So they were very surprised and very overjoyed that Kentucky pulled out a win. I bring this up because in our culture, it's hard for us to find areas where we have a a common identity. In this passage, Paul is addressing Titus and he says to Titus, My true child, in a common faith. And as I've said, our message today is going to be focusing on the issue of faith. And I'd like for us to explore this idea of faith, particularly as how it relates to our corporate identity. First of all, I want to describe what this common word means. Um, common can have different nuances, but, but, but the word common here, which is koinos, you may have heard similar words like koinonia used uh, for fellowship and things like that in the scripture. Koinos here uh, means that which is shared, that which is held in common, pertaining to being of mutual interest or shared collectively. Uh, The word shows up in Acts. If you remember in the book of Acts, uh, when the early church is formed, it says people come and lay sell their uh, property and lay down the money at the disciples' feet, and it said they shared all things in common. the The same word is, is used there for the property that they held in common. is is used here for the faith that we hold in common. It's something shared. It's something communal. Now, the reason why I bring this up is I want you to start thinking of faith as something bigger than yourself. Okay, I want you to start thinking of faith as something bigger than yourself. Uh, an illustration of this was somebody who was describing, they're actually describing Islam. He was a Christian, he said there's, there's something that those who practice Islam, particularly those uh, in the East, recognize that, it, that is true about their faith that we should actually recognize about ours. It's a false re- religion, but there was a concept that they had got right. And he says it's in relation to understanding their faith. He said in, in the West, we picture our lives like this. We picture our lives as a a big circle, and we fill that with all all sorts of interests and different things, and one of the things contained in our life is a little circle we call our faith. He said in Islam, they have a different view. They view their faith as something much larger. It is a large circle, and their life is a little circle that is contained by it. Now, saints, as we look at faith, particularly in this passage, I hope you begin to understand that your faith is something much bigger than yourself. Now, uh, to enter into this way of thinking, we have to understand that the Bible emphasizes the objective rather than the subjective element of faith. All right, now, saints, We're going to get into some nerdy, nitty-gritty here. Uh, But I figure if y'all are coming out on Sunday evenings, you you can handle some of the deeper things that we're going to be covering. This is a subtle distinction, but it is a very important one theologically. The scripture emphasizes the objective rather than the subjective element of faith. Now, what does that mean? What do those terms mean? Okay, if we're talking about the subjective element, element of faith. That's emphasizing what I am doing. I have faith. That's the subject. It emphasized the one who has faith. Scripture doesn't emphasize that. Scripture emphasizes the objective element of faith. That is, Scripture emphasizes what are you placing your faith in? What is the object you're placing your faith in? It It doesn't emphasize you Placing the faith, it emphasizes what are you placing it in? Uh, now, th- this, as I said, is a little bit of a nitty-gritty, is a little bit of a, 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 a kind of fine distinction, but is an extremely important one. Um, to try and make this concept of the subjective and the objective uh, elements of faith a, a little clearer, uh, I'll, I'll give you an illustration. Uh, there was... This is a common illustration for faith, but I I believe at times it can be misused. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard it in some contexts. But many years ago, there was a high wire artist. And as one of the spectacles that he did, uh, they created a high wire over Niagara Falls from one side to the other. And uh, he he got up in, in front of the crowd uh, crossed it came back there's there loud applause and then he grabbed a wheelbarrow and he said how many of you think I can go across with this wheelbarrow and of course the crowd cheered and said yeah and he goes across and the wheelbarrow comes back you know to loud and, and rockerous applause and, and then the next time he says how many of you think I can go across and back with somebody in the wheelbarrow and they all cheer and say yes and he says great who's getting in Uh, obviously, the, the crowd became a little more silent at that point. Now, w- what I want you to think of is the person who gets in the, whe- in the wheelbarrow. Did I say wheelchair earlier? I meant wheelbarrow. The person who gets in the wheelbarrow is whether or not they make it safely to the other side and, and back dependent on how strong their belief is that they can make it there and back. No, it it isn't. It's dependent on how trustworthy the one they're putting their faith in is to accomplish what he says he can. So that's what I mean. That's an objective emphasis on faith. It doesn't matter how much you believe or how much faith you have. It matters how trustworthy the one you're putting your faith in is. So when I make this distinction, of the objective rather than the subjective emphasis of faith. This is what I mean, and, and saints, I hope this is encouraging to you. Uh, I, I, I shared what I'm about to, uh, well, I'll give you the illustration later. Th- this can help us when we're struggling with our faith. You know, there, I, I don't know if you've been through t- times of difficulty or, or doubt and, and you start wondering about your faith. You start thinking, am I faithing enough? Is my faith strong enough? Is my faith good enough? And saints, this is a very subtle act of the devil. Because while you're thinking about faith, he's using your faith to turn you and get your eyes to look upon yourself rather than your Savior. So what I'm emphasizing here in faith being objective is that if you're struggling with your faith, if you're dealing with these problems, the, the purpose is not to turn your eyes inward, but to turn your eyes upward and look on the one in whom you are placing your faith. As I said, we're ending into a process where our theology forms our identity, which transforms our actions. If your faith is concerned with how strong your faith is, that's starting in the middle. That's starting with who I am and how much faith I have. That determines whether or not I'm successful. No, 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 no. It's the one you put your faith in that matters. This should be reminding us that the power of our salvation does not come from the strength of our faith, but from the strength of our Savior. How encouraging is that? that? That even when my faith is weak or my faith is faltering, as long as I am placing it on Him, He is strong and He is secure. I hope this is a great encouragement to you. I, I hope it's also a tool for you as you encounter people who are, who are struggling with their faith to say, Turn your eyes to Jesus. Do you trust Him? Do you trust what He's done for you? Instead of turning their eyes upon themselves. Now, an objective understanding of faith is important, and it's important to help us understand the shared, the common aspect of our faith. Uh, What we share, what we hold in common, is not that we all have faith. That's, That's the subjective idea. Because if that were the case, by the way, we would have a a common faith with Buddhists, Muslims, Mormons, Hindus, atheists, all those people have faith. What the distinction is and what we have in common with other believers is the object of our faith. The common faith is, is that we share the object of our faith. We share what we are putting our faith into with other believers. Which, of course, begs the question, what do we put our faith in? What do we hold in common? In what do we have a shared belief? We put our faith in the grace of God. Uh, The reason why I had us read verses 1 through 3 is uh, Paul As we said, in his gospel-infected identity, can't help but share the gospel. He shares the gospel in giving the to and from uh, this letter. We have faith in God's grace. Faith in God's grace to give us what? Well, it says uh, the hope of eternal life. Our our, our faith is in the hope that God's grace will produce in us eternal life. Now, Who does faith belong to? Well, he says, the faith of God's elect, back in verse 1. When did God elect them? Well, it says, before ages began. But even though it was in ages began, when was that truth revealed? It was manifest at the proper time. Where is it found? It's found in God's word. How is this truth spread? It's spread through preaching according to the command of Jesus Christ. What is the hope of preaching? That faith will spread. Then you start back over again in this whole process. What do we put our faith in? What do we share with one another? By the way, those are two questions with the same answer. What do we put our faith in? What do we share with one another? We hold in common, we share the truth that is revealed in God's Word. We share a Heavenly Father. We share our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We share an uncommon grace. We share the promise of eternal life. We share the peace of God. These belong not just to me, but to all the saints, to all the elect of God. And by the way, the things we share are things we should share. get that? The things we share are things we should share. That is, what we hold in common, what we have in common with one another, are things that we should be inviting people into. That is, if we believe that the word of God is true and magnificent, we should be sharing it so that mothers might believe in it. If we believe that we have a good Heavenly Father, we should be sharing him with others. If we believe we have a powerful Savior, we should be declaring him to others. If we believe that grace saves us, we should be declaring it to others. If we believe in the promises of eternal life, we should be sharing them with others. If we believe that we have received the peace of God, we should be sharing it with others what God has shared with us, what we share with one another, we should share with those outside the church. We should share it with those inside the church as well. We need to be reminded and edified by these truths, by these good things that a gracious and loving Father has bestowed upon us repeatedly for the strength of our faith, for our encouragement, for our joy in Christ Jesus, for our zeal to do good things. We've been uh, talking about faith. I want to give you uh, Luther's definition of faith. Luther says, Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. I'll, I'll repeat that again. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, that seems a little bit opposed to what you were saying earlier. Uh, But look at where the confidence in this. This is a bold and confident statement. But the boldness and the confidence isn't in faith itself, is it? He said faith is a living, bold trust in what? In God's grace, certain of God's favor. That is willing to risk everything. We've said that who God is and what He has done should be transforming our identity and changing the way we live. We have a great God who has shared with us the riches of His mercy and grace. He has reconciled us to Himself and given us peace with God. You find that worth declaring you have that find that worth proclaiming last week we, we mentioned briefly that uh, this truth this promise of eternal life this grace of God is revealed in the Word of God but it's manifest through preaching and, and we talked a little bit about how uh, we should have a broader view of preaching you know a lot of times when we think of preaching we think of you know, these wood pulpits, somebody standing behind it, probably somebody ordained, uh, and giving some sort of message. I I want you to have a much broader view of preaching, that preaching is declaring those shared aspects, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the glory of our Savior, the promises of eternal life, God's truth revealed in His Word with others. That can be in a small group. I can be sitting with your grandkids. I can be riding the bus with somebody. I could be talking to somebody at Kroger. I could be any number of numerous ways. Are we looking for the opportunities to proclaim the greatness of our God? Are we looking to share the things that have been shared with us? One of the things I I hope you realize is. We are a part of something much greater than ourselves when we enter into the Christian faith. It it says this is something God started before the ages began. Before anything else, God knew he was going to use his son to save the world. At the proper time, it was manifest and revealed to us that the means of our salvation was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There are many people who have come before us who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There are many coming after us who have place their faith in Jesus Christ. There are many here today who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have believed the promises, who have heard the word, who have relied upon the Savior. The story is much bigger than any one of us. And my hope for you is that your faith is not the one-way, dead-end street of faith. That you are a conduit, that you are a highway through which God's grace flows and moves freely to others. We have received so much from God. We share in the riches of the mercy of God. We share in the glory of His grace. We are standing between two poles. At one pole, grace appeared in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are to proclaim that. Until we reach the second pole, which is the return of Jesus Christ. He came in grace at first. He's coming in glory to establish his kingdom. In the meantime, we are to be a people who are sharing what we share with one another, which God has shared with us. That is his glory. That is his grace. That is his goodness. By the way, Paul, in his language here, is attempting to form within the people a corporate identity. He emphasizes this a lot in Titus. He he doesn't always do this, but look at the end of verse 3. He says, uh, this preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Notice that? Not my savior, by the way, in some passages, he does say my savior. He says, God, our savior. So in verse three, who does he refer to as our savior? God, y'all can can talk back to me. (laughs) All right, Uh, at the end of verse four, he says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our savior. Now notice, end of verse four, God is our savior. End of, sorry, end of verse 3, God is our Savior. End of verse 4, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, Paul's getting into some theology here. He is emphasizing, first of all, the corporate aspect. It's our Savior. Salvation is a work of God. This is very important to understand. Salvation is a work of God. Jesus Christ is our Savior. God is our Savior. What's that tell us about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is God. There's some strong theology that he's emphasizing here. We have a Savior. That Savior is God. That Savior is Jesus Christ. That the work that he is accomplishing in us is a work of God. Now, Now, by the way, in Christianity, salvation has to be a work of God. In order to save sinners who are vile, who are corrupted, who, who are beyond redemption, who are dead in their trespasses, what's a dead person do for himself? Nothing. nothing. That's, about, that's about the only thing a dead person do. They can do nothing. They can decay. They can do nothing to improve their situation or their station. In, well, you can't even say in life, can you? Because they don't even have that. Dead people can do nothing for themselves. It says we are dead in our sin. Our sin destroys even our capacity to respond appropriately to God. Therefore, salvation has to be a work of God. This is, by the way, part of the way in which the early church forms the doctrine of the Trinity. It says, well, who all is involved in our salvation? Well, there's God the Father who who sends His Son. There's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who dies for us. There's the Holy Spirit who works within us. In all aspects, it is God who is our Savior. He is the one who has saved us, who is saving us, and who will save us. And because salvation is from God and can only be from God, he is the only one who has the power to redeem a sinner like you and a sinner like me. He is the one from whom salvation comes. This faith that we share, this thing that we hold in common is one of the best things that we have to share with others. Uh, We see Paul has this view too. As as I've said multiple times in the past few messages, this is just Paul's to and from section. And and last week when we looked at other uh, ancient letters, they looked a lot more like the letters we send, which is dear so-and-so from so-and-so. And here Paul, because he has a radically changed identity, it changes even the way he introduces himself and the way he views his address E in it and it changes uh, what what's the salutation or the blessing of the letter is. There are times when there would be a, a salutation or a blessing from the gods. One of the letters I read, I wish I had brought it with me, talked about uh, giving blessings from a certain Egyptian god to his family in, in the introduction. The, the blessing is giving what the best thing you have to give the other person is. What does Paul view as the best thing he has to give to Titus? Grace and peace from God, our, the Father, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul views what we have received from God in, his, in the grace that he has given us, in the peace that he has provided us. That's the best thing he has to offer. In our day and age, I, I think about what do we share with people. Unfortunately, I can't think about that without thinking about Facebook and and, and all the things that that people deem worthy of of sharing. Uh, you know what they're willing to uh, put up, what they're willing to post, and some of the people you look th- and you think, goodness, do you really think that was appropriate to put up? Would you really say that to somebody if you were face to face to them? Is that, is that really worth risking your res- reputation to put up? What's worth sharing with somebody? Is there anything more important than the grace and peace which we have received from God? Is there anything more beautiful, more precious that we have to share with others? And by the way, I'd recommend sharing in person rather than Facebook. Facebook's a horrible venue for uh, sharing things but share the grace and the peace of God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. We share in a common faith, but we do not serve, an un, we, but we do not serve a common God. We serve a God who saw us in our miserable estate and sent his only son down to earth. So that he might live a righteous life and be crucified for it. So that sinners like you and me might enter into the divine throne room. So that sinners like you and me might receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. So that sinners like you and me might know what grace is. And might experience peace with God. We who are once children of wrath we share a common faith in an uncommon God who has done unbelievable things so that we might experience an overwhelming g- grace let us close in prayer as we enjoy that which with that which God has shared with us, that which we share with all the saints, past, present, and future, that which we should be sharing with a lost and dying world that has no hope outside the grace of God and has no peace outside the peace of God. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we pray that we might be a people who are transformed, by your word. Lord, let us not just be recipients of grace and peace. Let us be distributors of it. Lord, let us not just think of our faith as that which I have, but that which we have, because of what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father, that you have provided for us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have given us your grace that you have given us the promise of eternal life, that you have given us your peace. Lord, we pray that we might rest in the object of our faith. Jesus Christ and his shed blood, which was poured on our behalf. Lord, may we be faithful and fruitful in sharing that which you have shared with us with the lost and dark and dying world because it is worth declaring in the hope that you might be magnified and that they might see you and come to share in the beautiful gifts with which you have lavished your church. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Our benediction... Is going to be very simple. Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.